0: This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover Two Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening.
1: Hi, this is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover Two Resources, and I'm here today with Travis Bornstein. He's the founder of Breaking Barriers, Hope is Alive. Travis, welcome. Thank you, appreciate it very much. Yeah. You founded Breaking Barriers, Hope is Alive in honor of your son, Tyler. Can you tell us about your family's journey? Yeah, so
2: um, my son uh, died of a heroin, fentanyl overdose on September 28, 2014. Uh, He was in the process of overdosing and the person he was with instead of calling nine one one, took him to a vacant lot and dumped him in the field left him to die and so from that moment uh, our family has been trying to recover and trying to do something on the heroin epidemic um, so how old was your son he was, was 23 years old 23 years yeah old. okay and he was uh he had Broke his right arm four times and had two surgeries on his right elbow. Uh, first surgery was at age 11, and the second surgery was at age 18. And in the process, he became addicted to the opiate pain medicine, which led him to heroin.
1: Was he prescribed when he was 11 years old, opiates? Yeah. Okay. So all three times? Yeah. Okay. Well, he, had, he had two surgeries, and
2: then, you know, like I said, he broke his right arm four times. Yeah now you know what we think putting the pieces together is that you know at some point he started abusing pain medicine in high school his senior year and then obviously end up with another surgery uh, and then obviously that led him into full-blown addiction
1: so that was when you found out about it was his senior year of high school yeah yeah so um I mean, that's when we started to, you know, suspicion what's going on here. Okay. And so what did you do when you found that, you know, as a parent, as a family, you go into crisis mode? Yeah. Well, um, my wife probably
2: identified it a lot faster than I did. Um, I was uh, thinking, hey, this is a phase. He's okay. You know, he's an honor, honor student, you know, hey. And um, so, my wife, uh, she probably noticed, started noticing some signs way faster than I did. Uh, But the first person that my son told that he was using heroin was me. Hmm.
1: Yeah. That had to be devastating. Yeah, it's pretty gut-wrenching.
2: It's pretty gut-wrenching. And, you know, you just can't believe it's happening to you. Uh, You can't believe it's happening to your family. You know, we were just a typical, typical middle-class family who uh, thought we played by the rules and did the right things, and tried to raise our kids with morals and values. And you think that uh, you can raise your kid out of this, but uh, you can't because it's a disease. It's not moral failure. And I think that's the biggest, uh, biggest thing that I would tell parents is to understand, educate yourself that addiction is a disease and not moral failure. And Travis isn't saying that, the United States Surgeon General says that. Yeah. He's a lot smarter than I am.
1: So you found out and that spurred you to action. What did you do?
2: Yeah, so within a couple months of my son's death, my youngest daughter, who was a senior in high school, um, started working with their guidance counselor. And we had two other, she had two other friends that also lost their older brother to a heroin overdose and so they started working a program together uh, to start educating and talking to uh, students in high schools so two months into this my youngest daughter at 17 years old is starting to tell our story and the first time that they spoke there was over 800 people uh, in the room and at that time i can't put two words together as a parent you know two months into the death of my son and I'm watching my youngest daughter lead our family and uh, start to tell our story. Wow, nice. And that really is what got us moving. And we said, listen, if my daughter at 17 can have the guts and the courage to start talking about this, then surely we can. And so um, one thing has kind of led to another. Uh, they spent; She spent the rest of her senior year going around to high schools in Summit County and Star County. And um We just kind of started trying to get active and doing what we can to bring attention. And in March of this year, uh, we formed the nonprofit organization called Breaking Barriers, Hope is Alive.
1: Congratulations. Yeah.
2: Thank you very much. What's the mission? Well, um, we have some small goals and we have some big goals. And, you know, our small goals are to obviously get to to educate the general public, to uh, coach up parents and students about opiates. Uh, most, most families, most parents don't understand that Vicodin, Percocet, Oxycontin, Tramadol are all synthetic heroin. Most people don't understand that. And if the doctor would have told me and my wife that he was giving our son synthetic heroin after his surgery, we would have all said no. Right. No sure. one's going to say give him heroin. Right. But you don't understand it that way because you don't understand the, uh, the opiates. And so uh, part of our goal is to educate parents and families um, about opiates. Part of our goal is to come alongside families uh, who are caught up in addiction and to <clears throat> encourage them and support them and to get them to start talking about it to break down the shame uh, and the stigma, you know, associated with uh, this heroin epidemic. So our big time goal uh, is to actually put a treatment facility right on the
1: property where they found our son. That's our big time goal. Well, that's uh, absolutely a very commendable, commendable goal. In terms of the journey to get there, You seem to be a very, very, very long way off, but suddenly you took a big leap when you're out in Las Vegas. Could you tell us about that? Yeah. I I work for the Teamsters Union. I'm
2: the president of Local 24 in Akron, and I've worked full time for the local union for the last 20 years. And uh, every five years we have our national convention where teamsters from all across the United States, uh, Canada and Puerto Rico come together for our national convention. And so I wrote a letter to the general president talking about the opiate epidemic and uh, telling our story and what we were trying to do and uh, asked for for, uh, the pass of a resolution on the opiate epidemic. And so they gave me an opportunity to speak in front of 5,000 delegates at the Teamster convention. And I told our story and uh, kind of told our mission. And uh, we went out there with about $10,000. And um, after we told our story our delegates from all across the United States, uh, started making pledges uh, to support breaking barriers. Hope is alive. And so in an hour and 45 minutes, we raised a million four. Wow. And uh, it's pretty incredible. But, you know, the Teamsters Union has always been a give-back union uh, that cares about the community. And uh, they've blessed us with an opportunity to use that money uh, right in Akron and right in
1: Summit County uh, to make a difference. Tell us about how that felt. You and your family had a quiet moment back at your room.
2: Yeah, it Tell was, us about uh,
1: that. You
2: know, 5,000 people in the room, so after I got done speaking, you know, you couldn't really hear everything, and I went over to see my wife, and my oldest daughter was with us, Tiana. She's 22 years old, just recently graduated from Walsh University. And So I couldn't really hear, but I could hear people coming to the mic and making pledges, and I guess the first pledge was $10,000, the second pledge was $10,000, and then I heard the general president uh, make a pledge from the International Union fifty thousand dollars i heard that one Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so you just can't yeah you just can't believe it sure you just can't believe it and so you know after it was done you're just you're in shock you know you can't comprehend that we had no idea we would get that kind of support you know i didn't have no big goal in mind you know i was just really trying to tell our story and try to educate people on what the heck's going on and so after it was all said and done, you know, my wife and my daughter and I, we just went back to the room to start crying. And just started crying because that's, that's all you can do. You know, you're know, you so thankful, so thankful that people trust you and believe in you that, you know, you can make a difference. That's tremendous.
1: You're a good way of the way there right now. So any sense for just rough timeline on this?
2: Well, it's, it's you know, you, things got real serious for us real fast. Mm-hmm. And so um, what we were really looking at trying to do at this point is find a partner. We need a partner to come alongside us because hey, a million dollars is a lot of money and mm-hmm. I don't want to act like it's not. But um, if we're going to build a world-class treatment facility in Summit County in Akron, Ohio,
1: we need help. So what would be the type of partner that would be ideal for you and your organization, Travis?
2: Well, I think the easiest, the most natural blend is, you know, someone like Summa Hospital, uh, Cleveland Clinic, Children's Hospital. I think those are the easiest natural blends, but I, I don't know. Maybe there's a, a corporation out there in Akron that uh, wants to come alongside us and help and,
1: and give back to the community and, uh, and help. Um, you've received just a great deal of support from people through your foundation. I hope they responded to your message, your overall message. Our story's heartbreaking and it is what it is. And, uh,
2: you know, I believe with all my heart that God didn't let this happen to us or to me or to my family because he's trying to torture us, even though sometimes it feels like torture. I do believe that God let this happen so we could use it to make a difference. And I think that in our country, There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of heartache. There's a lot of uh, discomfort. And so we're trying to use our story to inspire others to give back and help people. And listen, I got a lot of reasons to be angry and to be mad. And if I respond in my anger, um, I think that's going to be a lose for me and a lose for my family. But if I respond in love, then we can try to uh, change this epidemic. And that's
1: what we're trying to do. Yeah. What key elements would you have to share with other families to avoid the same fate? Well, you
2: know, my first, my first uh, is education. You know, educate yourself on addiction. Understand that it's not moral failure, and uh, just drop the judgment and understand it as a disease. And to families that are caught up in this, I would encourage them to understand that too, that there is no shame and there is uh, no embarrassment. Uh, That's the biggest mistake that I made. If I had one thing to do over again, I would be telling our story from day one. And unfortunately, I never told our story until my son died. And because I was embarrassed of him, I was embarrassed of what was going on. And after I educated myself, Now, I feel like the roles are reversed. He should be embarrassed of me for failing to to talk about my son's disease. If my son had cancer, I wouldn't have been embarrassed. I'd have been asking for help every step of the way. I'd have been doing everything I could to get him help. But because of the stigma associated with this, you're afraid to ask for help. You're afraid to tell your friend what's going on. You're afraid to share your story.
1: And so uh, that's one of the barriers that we're trying to break down. And really, um, I feel like you're going a long way to break down those, the stigma and the barriers. What else do you have to share with, uh, with other families that may be struggling with this? Well, the first thing
2: uh, I would say is that you're not in this alone. I know you think you do uh, or think you are. And there are people that are willing to help you that's walked down this road before. Um, we have a Facebook page called Breaking Barriers, Hope is Alive. We have a website called NowWeFightForYou.com. And we put resources uh, on these two uh, the website and the uh, Facebook page to try to help families. And um, my wife and I are willing to have a cup of coffee with someone. Uh, to talk to their child, um, to just to help in any way we can to let them know that they're not in this by themselves. And I think what happens when you realize what's going on, you feel so isolated, you feel so lost. And uh, it's it, I wish somebody would have reached out to us and said, hey, Travis, you know, we can help you. We're, you. know We love you, we care about you, and we want you to be okay, and we want your family to be okay
1: those are the things that we're going to try to do yeah that's tremendous so Travis anything else you want to cover well I'll tell you a story
2: that I think is important in this Um, so in the process of my son um, going into rehab at one point he had um, went into a 21 day rehab and then into a sober living facility in Florida and. about three months into uh, his recovery in Florida, Florida, he relapsed and he was kicked out of the program. And so my son was homeless in Florida. And uh, as a family, we were exhausted. Um, we were uh, didn't know what to do, know where to turn. And so I'm in communications with him every day, trying to get him back into treatment you know, Hey Tyler, here's a phone number, call these people. I can get you right back into treatment. Let's go. And of course, when you're caught up in your addiction, it takes a while to come along and that's not what you're thinking about. And eventually he was homeless for about four weeks on the street in Florida with no family, um, and no one down there. And so eventually I got him to call the number and they picked him up and when they picked him up, uh, his right arm was it's this the same arm that he had two surgeries on and broke four times. His right arm was all swelled up and they immediately took him to the hospital because he had MRSA in his arm and so uh, we finally get a hold of the rehab center and they said hey he's not here we had to take him to the hospital and so we called the hospital and of course he's 23 years old they're not wanting to reduce uh, release a lot of information to us and finally my wife's like hey that's our son if you were his parent what would you do and The nurse said I would come down here. So my wife and I immediately left and we went to Florida and we went to the hospital and he was there at about about three days at that time by the time we got down there. And we go back to his room and he's in a pretty isolated room. He had lost about 25 pounds. They hadn't bathed him. They haven't treated him. They treated him like a homeless kid off the block. And I guess my message is to uh, all healthcare providers, nurses, and you know that's somebody's kid. That's somebody's kid. That's somebody's family. And I would encourage them to not get a hard heart in dealing with uh, some of the people that come off the street. There's my story. <laughs> wow. I mean, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. That's that's you know, yeah. and, and until you live it, until you feel that. I don't know if people understand it, you know, and, and I understand that, you know, healthcare providers, nurses, uh, uh, firefighters, EMS, you know, uh, law enforcement, they're seeing this every day and I know it's heartbreaking to them and I know it's hard, but I just encourage them not to get a hard heart, understand that's somebody's kid.
1: Again, to your point earlier, would they treat somebody with cancer this way? Right, right. It's unconscionable. Right. That's exactly right. We have parallels there, Travis, um, in that Sam had treatment in Akron. Um, So we did the treatment there through IBH, and he did pretty well with that. Uh, But after he graduated from the program, about six months later, he relapsed. As a family, we at the time viewed that as failure. The relapse was failure. And we, we really didn't know how difficult and how much, you know, how low a person is when they get to the point where they want help and how low their self-esteem is. And relapse is a part of recovery. We didn't realize right. that. So we right. viewed it as failure and we shipped Sam off to Florida then, same thing. right? And he attended and went through the program at the Boca House. Um, and graduated from that program. And um, so, yeah, a, a lot of parallels there and a yeah. lot of things that we would have done differently if yeah. we had it to do all over Well, again. like
2: you said, uh, you don't understand it, uh, that recovery, you know, relapse is a part of recovery. You don't understand that. Yeah. Um, you know, you just, uh, there's so many things, there's so many moving parts in this epidemic uh, and that's why it's gonna be so difficult to solve. Um, but I'm very proud of you and your family for what you're doing because you're stepping up and you're uh, you're doing the right thing and uh, and that's how we're gonna make a difference when families every every great thing that's ever happened in our country has been a grassroots effort of people standing up and saying enough is enough and I think that's what's gonna make this really special is uh, we're gonna we're gonna make a difference
1: we're gonna make a difference any final words for our listeners Travis
2: well, get involved, you know, um, what I, what I would say, you know, and we hear this a lot in our lives and if you played sports and, and different things is that, you know, you're part of the solution or you're part of the problem. And, uh, for parents out there who don't believe this could ever happen to them, uh, I would say, uh, I was that person. My son graduated mega cum laude from high school. He was an athlete. He had tons of friends. And uh we go to church and uh, we played by the rules and uh, not that we're holier than thou because we're not but uh, we played by the rules and I never thought this would happen to us but uh, so I would encourage parents to educate themselves and to get involved and help come alongside of other families who are caught up in this and give back to your community and uh, let's let's make a difference
1: together. Thank you Thank you. Appreciate it very much. We've been visiting today with Travis Bornstein, founder of Breaking Barriers. Hope is Alive. Travis and his family are turning tragedy into something that is really making a difference in the opioid epidemic. I'm Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources. Please join us for future podcasts. Also, please share this with someone you know, and someone who may be struggling with addiction. Thank you.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. With your support, the COVER2 team can continue to research and broadcast these resources to others in need. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit COVER2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.